Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Let's connect now with John Rowe. Uh, John is a research associate at Angus Reid. Very glad to have an opportunity to speak with you. Welcome back, John. Thanks for having me on, Jody. Let's talk through uh, what the findings were in the Angus Reid poll. Uh, People can follow along if you happen to be listening uh, in front of your computer, angusreid.org. The Christmas poll is up and how Canadians holiday spending is being impacted by inflation. What is the poll telling us? Yeah, so this is kind of the the second year that we've kind of asked Canadians around the holiday season uh, about whether or not they've kind of taken any steps to kind of limit their spending uh, kind of heading into the holidays. And what we found is for the last two years, about 60% of Canadians in both years say that they were cutting back on discretionary spending and uh, more than half say they're spending less on Christmas preparations. So things like presents and entertaining. And so this is kind of coming as other kind of data that we've been following for for a while, uh, showing that like a lot of Canadians feel that they're financially worse off than they were a year ago. And there's not a lot of kind of financial optimism kind of heading into 2024 as well. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that in polls of all kinds when we're talking about governments and how people are really feeling the squeeze and you got to blame somebody because the squeeze only comes from one place and that's the taxpayer, right? So the numbers I found in your poll to be a jolt because the numbers are extremely high you know 55 percent of canadians saying they've cut back on discretionary spending overall in recent months um but i have to admit where in the past i wouldn't have necessarily been like okay i really need to budget what's happening this holiday season but we as a family sat down and said instead of having a huge dinner maybe we'll do a bunch of the appetizers that we typically do how full do we need to be that's not a conversation we've had in years past yeah, and I think it's really kind of all these other elements that are kind of squeezing out these kind of things that maybe aren't, aren't, as, aren't necessary for people to kind of live day to day. So things like your mortgage going up because the interest rates increasing over the last couple of years, uh, as well as just inflation in general, like food has gotten so expensive over the last yeah. couple of years and grocery inflation has kind of outpaced uh, this, the baseline inflation that kind of Statistics Canada has measured as well. And, and we're seeing that in our polling and with we we ask Canadians how, how easy or difficult it is they feel to to feed their household and more than half of Canadians say that it's very difficult right now or difficult to to feed their household. So let's talk about um what the biggest issues are in the eyes of Canadians as we are staring down this final month of 2023. Where are we at in terms of uh, the top issues facing our country? Yeah, right now it's a cost of living and inflation. So about 61% of Canadians select that as one of the top issues facing the country. And and we've seen that since uh, basically the fall of last year when we we hadn't been polling specifically on that issue. And we added that in because we, we saw how much kind of inflation was affecting everything. And since that time, it's been the top issue consistently. And it's been the top issue across across provinces and regions and, and the top issue kind of among different demographics as well. Uh, and it's ahead of things like healthcare. Healthcare, only 46% of Canadians selected. Uh, housing affordability is third with 32% and climate change is 24% and the economy kind of more generally is 21%. And and yeah, so it's like really far ahead of, of a couple of those issues except for healthcare. But even healthcare, there's a pretty big gap between that and cost of living. So it, Canadians right. do kind of feel that that's the top issue facing the country right now. Right. 61% 
That is a top issue. Let's talk a bit. Um, we're with John Rowe, research associate at Angus Reid. And again, angusreid.org if you want to see uh, the full polling here. It is a fascinating, um, you know, litmus test of what Canadians are feeling is is really weighing heavy or is stressing us out, frankly, because there is a, a stress index, right, uh, John, that we can point to here and, and how Canadians are feeling. Yeah, we kind of developed this kind of incorporating a couple of different questions that we've been asking uh, throughout throughout the years, and it includes things like uh, how how households kind of feel about the debt le- their debt levels, uh, and incorporating kind of those questions as well on economic optimism, how they feel kind of heading into the the year ahead, as well as how they kind of felt they've done over the last year. Uh, and what we're finding is that we've through this index about. Uh, 31% of Canadians are, are are considered struggling, so they're kind of dealing issues with high levels of debt. They're having struggles feeding their household. They they don't have a lot of financial optimism for the future. And then about one quarter are about uncomfortable. So maybe they're a bit better off in in some ways, but still kind of feeling the pinch of these kind of difficult economic times. And then 22% are comfortable and 22% are thriving. Um, and through that economic index, that we find that those people that are are struggling, they're way more likely to be cutting back on discretionary spending. About four and five are and 78% say they're spending less on Christmas. So it is kind of affecting a large group of Canadians in a, in a very significant way this holiday season. You're right. 78% of Canadians are struggling to spend on this holiday. That just seems like an astounding number in this country. Yeah, and it's 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 it just kind of, I think, speaks to how kind of difficult these last two years have been. And it's, it's we haven't really seen inflation like this in, in the country for, for, for a generation almost, right? Like it's, it hasn't been inflation this high since the 1980s. So a lot, yeah. a lot of Canadians haven't had to experience these kind of price changes over time uh, that, that we're seeing over the last couple of years. And, and especially, I think, as well, like because we've come through this period of low interest rates that now people are starting to fees, feel the squeeze on, on debt and things like that that they haven't felt before. So it is kind of somewhat unprecedented for a lot of Canadians to kind of be feeling these financial issues. Yeah. Approaching four out of five Canadians, 78% of Canadians say they are struggling and spending less on holiday preparations this year. Uncomfortable in your poll, 64%. So struggling 78%. And then within that, it's that uncomfortable is 64%. Comfortable, less than half, 47%. And isn't it a sad state when only 20% of Canadians say they're thriving? Yeah, and I think it's just it. These issues kind of have uh, kind of widened the gap. I think in a lot of ways for for Canadians that maybe were would have been kind of better off in kind of years past. It's like their salaries aren't keeping up with kind of these price increases. So I think like a lot of the polling that we've seen is that kind of. Canadians who who maybe would have been kind of a bit more comfortable in years past are now kind of finding themselves as well, like kind of struggling, like even even higher, like people making in households living in like six figures, like they're kind of struggling with with these rising prices, even though like you would think that that's kind of quite a bit of money for for the average Canadian. But we're finding a lot of those people kind of report issues as well with kind of debt and things like that. John Rowe, thank you. A little bit of a bearer of bad news on on how Canadians are feeling, but it's important that we do have uh, an idea when, because some people are feeling very much alone in looking at their bank account and also looking at what's before them and wanting to 
you know, spoil their kids or have a nice gathering with family. And and where it used to be a, a cart full of groceries was a couple of hundred dollars. Now it's a couple bags full of groceries is a couple hundred dollars. John, I appreciate your your point of view and and Angus Reed's polling on this. Thanks for taking some time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jody. We are going to be connecting with a good friend of the program. Ian Tostenson is the president and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association, a champion for restaurants across this province, one who has navigated uh, very turbulent waters over the last number of years since obviously COVID-19 very much impacted the restaurant industry uh, across the world, never mind just here in British Columbia. But uh, seriously, one of the champions, I want to welcome Ian Tostenson to the show right away here. Ian, thanks for doing this. Hey, Jody, it's a pleasure. And I want to thank you publicly for, um, your listeners don't know this, but you did an extraordinary and thankful job for the uh, Industries uh, Hall of Fame Awards a couple of weeks ago. And we, you just did a great job. And we thank you so much. You were great. Thank Well, thank you for that. I, I love the 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 industry and and appreciate the hardworking people front of house yeah. back of house during these really stressful times and just before the break we were talking about how people are sort of tightening their belts well not sort of definitely are tightening their belts this holiday season because of the uh, affordability issues and crisis in fact uh, inflation on the rise food costs a lot of people really really frustrated and feeling the pinch whether it's on their you know mortgage uh, increases with bank of canada rates uh, going up uh, or or just rent being paid these are all things that hit restaurants as well, not just the obvious in the cost of food. We talked about the very, very expensive russet potato or the incredibly uh, oppressively expensive head of lettuce that was trending on social media uh, just a couple of days ago. These supply chain issues, like that head of less lettuce, as restaurateurs would know, as chefs would know, the Salinas Valley was hit by a virus that wiped out half of the iceberg lettuce crops last year. That's why lettuce is so expensive. And then you add on to the fact that gas is more expensive. You add on the supply chain uh, struggles and issues that have happened. How is it that restaurants are able to, or are they able to navigate these headed into December of 2023? You know, we're sort of not doing that right now. Um, restaurants Canada came up with a survey a couple of weeks ago, 50% of the restaurants in the province are either losing money or breaking even, and which is a tra- tragedy. There's about 14,000 restaurants plus in BC. And so yeah. you've got a lot of owners just hanging on. And if you think about it, it's, it's like they have no other choice. They've signed a lease. They maybe have five years, 10 years left in the lease and they walk away. It's going to cost them bundles. So they're, we're hoping for, for calmer days ahead. Uh, we are seeing inflation obviously coming down. Um, but what the problem is you can't, you know, the, the lettuce, you have lettuce on your menu and suddenly lettuce goes through the roof. It's difficult to, you know, all of a sudden reprint your menus and try to charge 15 bucks for a salad. You sort of eat that cost for a while, hoping the cost will come down. The, the, the chains have an advantage in purchasing for sure. That, but the, the ones that are really hurting right now are the independents. And I feel sorry for them. I mean, they're, they're working six, seven days a week. And this is not a, oh, you know, poor us. This is a time for us that we are going to become even more determined uh, post-pandemic and, and pull ourselves out of this. And it's going to take a, a bit of an, an effort, though, and, and a coordination with government that we're trying to put together right now. Because in, in a large part of this, Jody, is, is government red tape bureaucracy that's holding us down. 
um, from doing things and causing us a lot of time and effort to deal with their, their issues versus managing our businesses on a day-to-day basis. Like what? Walk us through what's well, happening in the government red tape department. Yeah, well, you know, like you know, we talk about you know, you know, getting rid of natural gas, or we, you know, punitive liquor policies and and um, and fines, and reporting, and we've got new regulations coming from WorkSafe with respect to, you know, having to put together you know, employee groups and you know all the HR stuff that's associated with that. And then you've got all your licensing that you're doing with, you know, fire and health, and then your liquor licensing, and you're serving it right. We just did a uh, 78 points that we've identified so far that a business owner in a restaurant has to has to be aware of every single day when they open the door versus all the other stuff that's coming down the pipeline, including you know packaging changes in December. And and so on and so forth. So we're putting together. This is kind of you know a little off topic, but we're putting together an entire composite. And I think you'll find this fascinating of all the issues that are that we're faced with on one page in the form of a menu, so that the politicians can see the burden that these small businesses have on them. And the challenge will be is how do we work together like we did during the pandemic to get this this sector healthy again. And and I think it's going to work. The problem is that it, there's not a, a not a total awareness of our issues. There's one off awareness. Like yeah, we got food problems over here and costs of you know over here. But what is the what is the big global issue we're trying to deal with here in this very important issue? I think we'll get somewhere with it. I'm kind of excited about it. That's what we're working on right now. And um, I think the government's quite receptive because they work in silos in isolation, and they work differently. The provincial government versus the municipal government. Everybody's got a different thing going on. So I think this is going to really help our industry a lot. I'm looking forward to it. You're always so positive in that way. And I mean, you you come at things in what are the solutions as opposed to really lingering on the problems, even just with your answer there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, I think if we put it together in a way that everybody can understand it, because the people in government don't understand the day-to-day struggle of a restaurateur, as you said, 14,000 restaurants in BC and 50%, 50% are either losing money or just breaking even. Before the pandemic, the margins were what, 5%? What can yeah. we do to support... What can we do to support our restaurateurs? What can we do to help the mom and pop shops to to help the you know the the heritage brands that are so yeah. intrinsically Canadian or British Columbian? Like we really have to think in that supporting local, uh, you know, shopping here, keeping people going through these tough times, as you said, like some people are getting a renewal on their lease because property taxes are going up or what, whatever. And the person that owns the property is passing that on to, you know, whatever Nat's pizza. That's one that I yeah. saw roll by on social media. Nat at Nat's yeah. pizza been there forever. Ryan Reynolds buys pizza, um, you know, for an entire high school during the pandemic at Nat's pizza. So cool. Such a feel good story. Nat seeing his, his lease go up by like double digits like 20 yeah. percent or more right that's that you can't sustain that no and no one's gonna buy you know a 50 dollar pizza that's what they, that's where it all ends up so they right. bail and and a lot of yeah. Yeah, families uh, are losing a lot of savings and stuff because of it the but the good thing is is that 
You know, and you're positive too, Jody, is that, you know, we are seeing investment into the sector, but it's a different kind of investment. We're seeing innovation, but we have a public that because of the pandemic still want to go out and socialize. They still see the entertainment value and the experimental value of restaurants and how important they are. So when we talk about how to support restaurants, I'm going to go, why should we support restaurants? Like, what's so special? Because they're part of our culture. They're a place for us to go meet in our neighborhoods. So we want than not to go away. So, you know, whether you can go there, what we're seeing is that people are still going out, but they're spending a little bit differently. So if you and I went out, we might have an appetizer and share a glass of wine versus having a full-on meal. And that's all right for us. As long as we're getting people in, we can do our thing and and try to, you know, provide our hospitality. But it's not like the, the consumers are staying home. Your earlier segment, you know, people are very conscious of budget. But in some cases, you can go to a restaurant and eat, a little less expensively than perhaps you can cook at home. Continuing our chat with President and CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services, uh, Ian Tostenson is our guest. And Ian, before the break, we were talking about the stresses on the restaurateurs, the mom and pop shops in particular in British Columbia, trying to battle back from a couple of significant hits. I'm going to say more than a couple from COVID-19 and, and, and having to deal with people going home and staying home and then having to pivot to, to go and then turbulent waters of, of we're open, we're closed, we're plexiglass, we're patios, we're doing, we're pivoting, we're very malleable. Everything that you've helped navigate Um, the restaurant and food services industry of British Columbia through, and then inflation plus supply chain issues, uh, fuel costs, uh, you know, food chain and and just the costs of food. We've, We've covered all of those pieces of this puzzle. And but the one thing you were hitting on just as we were going to commercial break was the fact that there was a time where we would pivot to you know, cooking at home and eating at home because that was more cost effective and efficient for those on a budget. We're seeing that shift a little bit now, aren't we? Mm. We are. Uh, If you look across the spectrum, uh, QSR, you know, some of the pricing QSR um, is really exceptional. I mean, you know, and, you know, my point is it's, it's sometimes hard to duplicate that at home. That's probably more responsible for me to say duplicate at home with the taste uh, and the, and you don't have any wasted afterwards. So and the innovation. I mean, some you know. The, so that's where we sort of see that restaurants can really play a role. And if you look at um, uh, if you look at some things that are happening, people are tending now towards more happy hour, where there's some fabulous economics. Although the industry hates it because not a lot of money, but it brings people in. And so right. you'll go to happy hours and be able to get appetizers and a drink for on a on a budget. Um, which is very attractive. Same with QSR. So we're able to hit those points. If we don't, then we're just going to become elite too far away, and then people will go back and and drink at home. So we're concerned about price points. We're concerned about nutrition. But we're equally concerned about you coming into my place and enjoying yourself and socializing, and you can't put a price on that. You know, just get out of your house and go be with a friend for whatever the occasion is. It could be a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever. So... Um, you know, I, the magic of this industry, what attracts me is, is the thousands of people that figure this out every day as to how to create that magic with you, you know, with food and the experience. It's just not about eating food. It's about the total experience and the innovation. And that is what's going to drive this, this industry out of this kind of hole we're in right now. And, um, and I look forward to that. But it is, you're right, this is the lowest point. This is the lowest point, Jody, I think, that we've had even during the pandemic, because the pandemic, we had a purpose. 
and we had a focus. And every day we woke up and said, what can we do today to, to help solve these problems? And right. now that's fractured. And it's, and it's now our responsibility to bring that focus back in, into one single lens. I, I want to put it out. I want to put this out there. If there's somebody who works in the restaurant industry, maybe you own a mom and pop shop and you want to call in and talk about your struggles. Now is mm. your opportunity. 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Maybe you're looking for, for staff. Staffing is a big deal. Front of house, yeah. back of house. Restaurants are looking for people who want to do the work. So if you've got somebody who's looking for a job, you know, here's your chance as well. 604-280-9898, star 9898. Call us now. Ian and I will continue our conversation. Let's talk about um, how the workforce has shifted when it comes to our restaurants and how that puts extra added pressure on restaurateurs. Yeah, so you've got um, one of the dynamics that happened pandemic is you get people scattered all over the place where we feel like we all went to our office and worked five days a week and then had (laughs) drinks afterwards and went for dinner. And now it's like some people are at home, some people are half the time in the office. And so you're seeing uh, some things like after dinner uh, occasions for uh, after work dinner is are down. But you're seeing occasions where people are driving to the office and having a meeting along the way up. Um, you're seeing more interest in breakfast and you're seeing uh, increased and continued increase and in, in interest in delivery so that we, you know, we sort of go, you know, I'm staying home tonight. I'm not going out because I can, the restaurant of my choice can deliver a pretty good meal through Uber Eats or whatever the situation is, and maybe a nice bottle of wine. And so that has been a new dynamic. So the operator has got to keep their minds on several sort of viewpoints here, you know, delivery, takeout, in-store dining, you know, patios. It, it's it's a very different model than it was six years ago. And Again, it puts more stress on it, but it gives the business owner more avenues to create revenue and and to sort of you know try to make that business work a bit better. What can help? Like, is buying gift cards this holiday season for that uh, yeah. favorite spot that you meet up with your friend? And like you said, you go to happy hour, you have a little glass of wine, you, mm. you share an appetizer. Maybe that's your your social time and and your your in support of is is grabbing um, a gift certificate a good idea. Yeah, we did something in Kelowna during the fires, which was really cool. And I think this is, we um, we asked people to buy gift cards through us, and then we went and bought them from restaurants, and then we donated them uh, back to uh, the fire departments and the firefighters or the homeless or the people that were that, that had been displaced from their homes. And so we created this circular economy, and it really helped a lot. And That's so I was in a restaurant the other day, and somebody said, hey, this, it was a brand-new server, and they said, do you know that if you buy $50, you get a $10 um, a bonus because it's our Christmas gift card program? I went, absolutely. I read in the spot. I sure. said, you're awesome. I bought it, yeah. and I gave it to a table of, of a family that I sort of thought, well, Love I just that. said, hey, this is – so that really let's helps. Let's go. I've is, got a caller for you. i got a caller for you. Okay, this is – yeah, George. George wants to talk to you, uh, talk to you specifically about something <laughs> okay. uh, to do with delivery Uh-oh. apps. George, George and Nanaimo, welcome. What's your What's your uh, question for you? Yeah, Ian? hi, Ian. I'm a DoorDash driver, and uh, you have a big looming threat coming your way, as we do we all, when it, with the proposed new legislation for the gig workers. Uh, we do not want this. Um, mm-hmm. Our the president of DoorDash has already said that if this goes through, they'll have no choice but to significantly raise their delivery fees which will affect our customers and most certainly affect your industry 
And he's also yeah. said that it will no doubt result in fewer delivery opportunities, which, of course, is going to affect my income. So I think you guys should get on board with us and try to uh, raise the alarm and maybe get the government to reconsider. Yeah, George, you know what? You raise a good point. They've, um, you know, the, the, the principle here, Jody, what we're talking about is that um, the government's come out and said, you know, gig workers, and we agree with this, actually, we need to make sure they're protected, that people like George, if they yeah. get hurt in the job and, and like work safe and employment standards. But they're, they're taking a little bit beyond that. And they're, what we don't know, and George is pointing this out, is there's a potential cost to this um, that, could be reflected in the delivery costs, and we're concerned about that. And we, George, we have raised that with the government, and and it's like the devils in the details. We won't know the cost of this until the springtime, which we're not very happy about but, because throwing out programs and not costing yeah. it. But yeah, Ian, as always, a wealth of information. We have to remember to take care of our restaurant industry. It is like you said, it's uh, the heartbeat of our community. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Joe. Talk to you soon. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith on this December the 1st and the countdown to Christmas is on. And for so many people that is so exciting. It's filled with joy. It's filled with family. It's filled with jingle bells and poinsettias and Christmas tree decorations or, or Hanukkah gatherings and breaking bread and, and just sharing the love among family. But for some, it brings grief bubbling to the surface. And a, and a bit of a, a trigger warning, I guess, here is we are going to talk about subjects that are sad, but we're going to do so with a mind of helping people who struggle with grief in grief, uh, with somebody definitely um, qualified to help. I will say right off the top here, I lost my stepdad on July 31st of this year. I held his hand as he died. It all happened very suddenly. He was the center of our table for every holiday. I am dreading December 24th without him. It is, and yet we have a family. He would want us to go on. He lived a robust life. There was, there's so many things I'm talking to myself. I'm, I'm trying to pull myself through the realities. I was so lucky to have him for 85 years. I mean, healthy and happy and a huge part of my life for so long. And yet the grief just sits in my chest, just, just bubbling there. And our next guest is a grief educator, and she's going to help me, and she's going to help you. And the reason why I think uh, Suzanne Jabor is such a great person to deliver messaging around grief is that she has a story of her own that will touch your heart as a bereaved mom who's chosen to become a grief educator. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so sorry to hear about your stepdad. I can, uh, well, I was going to say I can imagine. I actually know part of what's coming for you or a version of it at least. And so, yeah, it's such an important topic to talk about this time of year. So do us a favor and I know your story, but our listener doesn't. So share a little bit about your story and your journey to becoming a grief educator. And then I'm going to ask you to help me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so I came to become a grief educator, as many people in the grief sphere of work do, from my own experience. I lived that nightmare of every parent and received the middle-of-the-night phone call from the police that my son Ben had died. That was in September of 2020, and he was 22. And 
you know, if you can let yourself imagine what that would be like, I can tell you it's exactly as horrifying and disorienting and discombobulating as Mm. you expect it would be. And really, you know, I knew almost instantly that I was no longer the same person and that my life was forever changed. And as you were talking about your, you know, your stepdad, I thought, you know, it's so similar. We want to live our life in a way that respects our loved one who's gone. And that's also unspeakably hard. So, you know, that's what's part of what has brought me to share my story and to try and help other grievers and the people supporting them because, you know, Ben lived a big, full, rich life and he should have continued to do so, but he didn't. And so in a weird way, I do all of this to honor myself and to honor him. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that story with us. And and the fact is, we don't have enough, I don't know what it is, uh, emotional maturity, perhaps, in Western culture to mm-hmm. really dig into these conversations. People are, 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 are cautious when talking about death. They, you know, we get, we get into, I've learned a lot over these last few months in mm-hmm. what I was doing wrong before and trying to help others. Oh, my deepest condolences. I am so sorry for you. You know, what can I do for you? All all meaning well. And I, as somebody who was living in grief in the the trauma of the the first weeks, when you're still in shock Mm -hmm. and denial to to a great degree, realizing you're never going to actually physically see that person again. Um, what I was doing prior was not at all what I needed. And everybody's experience is different. But the taboo around the conversation in Western culture when it comes to death and dying and grief and loss, I, I think that's where where I would start. If I was telling my friends and family what I'm going to need this holiday season is to say his name and talk about it. Yeah. And universally, it's so funny. Um, it is say his name, like say his name, share the memories I think you're right. It's the taboo that we have and the fear we carry mostly about doing the wrong thing, right? We so desperately Mm -hmm. don't want to do the wrong thing. And we somehow instinctively know that all of those cliches and platitudes we've heard before are not the right thing, but we don't have anything to replace them with. So we get so entangled in fear and worry, and then we end up not stepping up the way that we want to. And I want to really make sure people understand this is a no shame, no blame conversation. As you've so clearly identified for us as a collective, we're really not very good at this. So Mm -hmm. we need to start there. As a group, we're not very good about it. The ones of us that are slightly better have learned from experience. And even as a, you know, grieving mom, grief educator, I still stumble and go, oh, like that was not how I meant that to sound or (laughs) what I meant to do. You know, it's hard and it's okay for it to be hard, but we have to break this silence. We're so isolated in a time when really what we need is deep connection. You know, Mm -hmm. grief is so unique to each person, but the commonality that goes for everyone is that grief needs to be witnessed. For us to integrate it, for us to continue to rebuild and take baby steps forward, our grief needs witnessing. And so we need people around us who can just sit quietly, right? That can hold the space, that aren't gonna try and fix it. There's nothing to be fixed. Nothing is broken that we can fix. That is so big. And as a culture, Like we want to fix things, right? Give me the problem. Let's make a plan. Let's execute the plan. Let's move on. Nothing about that works with grief. And for most of us, that's a huge part of our toolbox and it doesn't work. So then we don't know what to do. Suzanne Jabor is a grief educator and um, 
a human being who has suffered the unthinkable in, in the loss of, of a child, uh, a young adult child. I'm going to be, maybe this is too much information, but in order to really offer up this next question, because it is personal for me. Mm -hmm. um, so sorry if this is too much information for everybody listening on the radios right now, but I have struggled mostly with how the waves of grief hit, not when I want to feel it, not when I'm ready, when I'm like, okay, now, <laughs> now let me cry. <laughs> it's remarkable. Like I, the Webster Awards are our media awards where, where journalists are celebrated. I went to the Webster Awards as, as, as part of the Czech news team and I got dressed. I've, I've been avoiding people. I've been staying tight and close because it's been a stressful time. And I got dressed up. I, I, I'm putting on my Jody Vance. We're going out. We're doing the thing. I got to the top yeah. of the escalator at the Hyatt with all of my colleagues and friends. I haven't seen them all. It's been years since we've been able to gather. I got to the top of the escalator and that's when the grief hit. I was like, oh my God, I can't do small talk. People are going to say, how am I doing? And the answer is not great. I mean, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. But not, oh, and it just, it hit me. I had to, I'm like, okay, now I'm crying at the in the bathroom at the Webster's. <laughs> and, and that's where the grief hit. It was so bizarre. And then I pulled myself together and was fine. But the wave that hit, what do we do when the wave hits? I mean, really, all you can do is breathe. And I say that to people all the time. And I don't mean that to sound like a cop-out. But that's really all you can do. Slow your breathing consciously breathe in and breathe out and let the wave go through, right? Resistance is futile. So the more you go down that path of, <laughs> oh, but one. I can't possibly be crying here. I'm all dressed up and I'm at the special Not event. And people are going to look yeah. at me and like, I look ridiculous and I have to go hide in the bathroom. Like all of that, we have to let go because sometimes the emotions are overwhelming and we would never yeah. apologize if we were crying with joy. So why do we apologize Ooh. when we're crying with grief? Oh, that's But a we good feel the one. need to apologize. And that's that taboo, right? It's going to come when we don't expect it. Every time I see an abandoned cart in the grocery store, I think, ooh, grief came. Mm. It comes ooh. when we don't expect it, right? Some of the tsunamis we can see coming. I can see, you know, you can see December 24th. I can see December 25th. We can see that one coming. We can't predict how we're going to feel or how it's going to go, but we can predict that there's going to be a tsunami. The one where you get to the wow. top of the escalator and you think, oh my gosh, I have to form complete sentences and talk about nothing when my whole world is falling apart. Yeah, That's a real thing. That small talk, holy cow, I still can't really do it. I have to admit it. Like I'm three and a bit years out, still can't really pull it off. Cause I, it's not that I don't care about people. I care about people deeply. And to talk about what feels like so much nothing and that throwaway question, you know, how are you? Fine. I, I just, oh, I just can't yeah. do it. You know, my dream is that we would only ask that question when we really care and we have time to actually listen and we would only answer with the truth. And just that would see that's that's the part. Everyone. That's the part. Yeah. Answering with the truth is. Uh, it's my downfall and my superpower because when I meet people who have heard me on the radio or watch me on TV, they say, oh, my gosh, you're the exact same person. I'm like, well, yeah. So if you don't want to know the true answer to the question, don't ask it. Don't this ask is it. Who authentic. 
right? Jody Vance in for Mike Smith with Suzanne Jabour, a grief educator, uh, someone who has lived experience of dealing with loss, a bereaved mother, in fact. And we're talking about some of the tools we can use during the holiday season to sort of manage the waves of grief that are inevitable when you're missing a loved one or are grieving a time in your life that you're not um, feeling as accomplished as you might otherwise have grief comes in many forms is what I'm trying to say. We're opening up the phone lines. If you'd like to to chime in on what works for you or a struggle you might be having, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. And wouldn't you know it, Suzanne, our listeners do want to get in on this conversation. So let's go straight to the phone lines here. Fran in the West End, you're up first. Welcome, Fran. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, the love of my life died, and it'll be 10-year anniversary coming up December 9th. And I just have a struggle with Christmas and all the festivities. And my mother died last November 29th during the Snowmageddon in Burnaby Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't be by her bedside as she passed. I had to try and make my way home. And I had to walk from the hospital to the SkyTrain station at Brentwood Mall in a snowstorm. And when I got home, like 10 minutes later, they called me and said she had gone. And um, (laughs) so I'm kind of floundering here. Um, It does hit me in waves. You know, I thought, you know, getting through the loss of my my partner 10 years ago gave me the tools, but it seems that each loss is different and and it's just going through it. And um, anyway, that's about all I have to say. <laughs> okay, stay with us, Suzanne. What what would you what advice or what help would you offer uh, to Fran? Well, Fran, first of all, I just want to normalize that what you're feeling is absolutely normal. You know, part of what we don't understand about grief because we don't talk about it is that, yes, it's different every time. You know, I experienced the death of my dad when I was in my 30s and my mom when I was in my 40s, and none of that prepared me for the death of my son. So it's true that every time is different. I think particularly when you've had losses close to the holidays, that makes it more complicated because the anniversaries and holidays are so close together. And what I would say is really the best we can do for ourselves is to give ourselves extreme permission for whatever happens to be acceptable. Because we don't get given that permission from society, from our friends and family sometimes, unfortunately. So we have to give it to ourselves. And I would say, you know, every plan you make comes with a get out of the plan escape clause. You know, any commitment that you make needs to be cancelable. And if there's a way that you can look at the traditions that you loved sharing with them and adapt them, adjust them, explain them to friends and family and invite them over to do them. You know, there's ways that we can include our loved ones that we miss desperately over this season. And it's also absolutely okay to curl up in a ball and hibernate and close the doors and turn off all of the Christmas shenanigans that surround you because that's overwhelming also. So all of those things are possible and all of them are normal. Suzanne, how does somebody listening right now get in touch with you or learn more about you? How, how, 
your education, just your words are, are landing very, very well for me. I think they might be landing for others. How does somebody reach you? The best place to get me is on my website, which is suzannejabor.com. And I actually have a 24 tips for the holidays um, page on there. So if you want more ideas about how to support people, how to support yourself, how to support your employees, um, that's at suzannejabor.com forward slash holiday tips. And that will get you right to, you know, 24 ideas that you can use or discard, right? Because they're not going to fit for everyone. Um, but it's a place to at least start thinking about how to navigate this really tricky time of year. Appreciate your time. We could have talked for another half an hour easily. Suzanne, thanks for this. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best. I'll be thinking of you on the 24th. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.